0: One of the things I found out when I was looking at our Sunday school lesson was, I thought it was pretty good, since we are disciples of Jesus Christ, are supposed to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to understand what a disciple really is, amen? In its simplicity, a disciple is a follower of someone. For those of us who are Christians, we are to be a disciple of the one to whom we say we follow, and that person would be Jesus Christ. Amen? I am going to give, if you got a pen and paper, you can write this down. It's going to be really simple. There are eight attributes that we're going to talk about that deals with what a disciple really is. I'm going to give us some scriptures that tie into that. Then I want to give us, real quickly, a word of encouragement. Amen? The eight marks of what a disciple is. If you and I today identify ourselves as a disciple of Jesus Christ, here's some things that we need to take into consideration. Number one, Bible engagement. Transformation can be recognized when our mind is sharpened by the Bible. Our perspective is shaped by the Bible, and our actions are directed by the Bible. Did you get that? Our transformation, our change, we've been transformed, we've been made different, can be recognized when, number one, our mind is sharpened by the Bible. Our mind is sharpened by the Bible. Our perspective is shaped by the Bible. How we see things is determined by how we see things from the Bible. And also our actions, what we do, are directed by the Bible. Amen? Our perspective, our actions, and our mind are all shaped by the Bible. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God, and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The more the Word is in you, the more you and I become like Jesus. And you cannot be like Jesus by bypassing. The Word. That's why you constantly hear myself emphasize the importance of Bible school, Sunday school, morning worship, Wednesday nights, and the other opportunities that you and I have to avail ourselves to the teaching of the Word. Because if you're just out there by yourself, you're not going to be shaped by the way, your mind, your perspective, and what you do will not be shaped. Everything that you do, you now say, you said. You, The Lord chose you and elected you to become part of His family. And now to know what to do, you and I need to be exposed to the Word of God. So our Bible engagement. Question for all of us to ask today, how how well am I engaged in my Bible? And that's not just in your own private time, but that's also corporately with those who make up the family of God. One, two, not one and or the other. Both together. Number two. Obeying God and denying self. Discipleship is the process of obedience to one who is in authority over you. Discipleship is the process of obedience to one who is in authority over you. Transformation can be seen when we progressively set aside earthly delights for kingdom priorities. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness and then what? all these other things, Jesus first, everything else after that. So discipleship is the process of of obedience. We talked a lot about that this morning in Sunday school. Obedience to one who is in authority over you. Who is in authority over you? I hope if you're a believer today and a disciple of Jesus, the one who is ultimately over you and I should be who? Jesus. If anyone wants Luke 9.23... If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a daily thing. It's not just on Sundays, It's not just on Wednesdays, but it's daily denying ourselves. There are a lot of things that you and I may have a right to do, but we have to say to ourselves, as Paul would tell us, all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient, which means I may have a right to do it, but I forgo do it for the cause of Christ. Can I stay home and not come to church? Well, yeah, you can. But is that what the Lord really wants you to do? No. Pastor, you don't understand. Yeah? I do, more than you, more than you realize. So, Bible engagement, obeying God and Denying ourselves. Serving God and others is the third one. Serving God and others. Transformation is evident when personal needs and even dreams are set aside for the needs we see in others. Transformation is evident when personal needs. And even dreams, things that we have dreamed about, are put aside for the needs we see in others. Matthew 25, verse 40. Whatever you did for one the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Amen? Serving God and others. The story was told where an individual had set aside some money for a special thing that they were going to buy. I don't know if it was a car or maybe it was provide education for their kids or whatever it was, but they they had set this money aside. And up within the church or within the community came came a need, and the Lord placed it on their heart to take the money that they had set aside for themselves and give it to the need that was presented. And I asked myself, could I do that? I said to myself, self, I don't know. But that's what it means when we talk about serving God and as well as serving others. Because one thing about the dynamic of the the Christian faith is it's not just by you yourself. Yes, you may come to Christ and your faith may be private. But how you live that out is very public because people see it. So Bible engagement, obeying God and denying self. Serving God and others, sharing Christ, even with the need to live out the effects of the gospel. Maturing believers know that speaking about the message is a necessity. Speaking about Jesus, the message of the gospel, is a necessity. Transformation is evident when we talk about the source of it. Sharing Christ. Probably many of us would be under conviction today if I asked all of us, from last Sunday to this present moment, whom did you share Christ with this past week? Then many of us would probably be convicted and say, you know what? I really didn't share. 1 Peter 3.15 says, We are to be ready at any time. To give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you. Anyone can come up to you and ask you why you're a Christian. Who asks you for a reason. why, Why? For a reason for the hope that is in you. Why is it that you're a Christian? Why is it that you're a believer? Why is it that you're a disciple? And you ought to be able to give them a reason of the hope that is in you. Why am I a believer? Why am I a Christian? Because I understand what Jesus did for me. He paid all of my sin. And because of what he did, I now have a right to eternal life. Yes, I sin. Yes, I have made mistakes yes I will sin and yes I will make many more mistakes but one thing is for sure my eternity with Christ has already been settled and I cannot make it in this world I could not make it in this world without Jesus Christ being in the center of my life it goes all the way back up to my everything that I do is shaped by the Bible my actions and everything amen My mind, my perspective, and my actions are under the the control of Jesus Christ. It has to be. Otherwise, when I put myself in there, I mess it up every time. Bible engagement, obeying God and denying ourselves, serving God and others, sharing Christ. The first marks The attributes of discipleship. Number five, exercising faith. Exercising faith. Transformation is seen in believers when risk aversion is set aside and our lives are characterized by faithful obedience to God's will. I shall read that again. Transformation, the change. A change, a change has come over me. Okay, glad you could say that. Here's what it is. Transformation is seen in our lives, in believers' lives, when risk aversion is set aside and our lives are characterized by faithful obedience to God's will. We talked about that yesterday in our men's meeting. Now, understand that this is what the Word of God says, but over here is my real life. How do I take what God says and what my real life is and do what God says and let Him take care of what's in my real life? That's easier said than done. Okay, Pastor, I get it. You're going to give me a story. You're going to tell me about the woman that gave all that she had. You're going to tell me another story about people that you've heard about and know about that they put Christ first, they gave Him what He really deserved. And he blessed them above and beyond what they can even imagine or think. I get that, but I ain't there because the reality is I've messed up. Not God, me. And if I gave what I'm supposed to give, I'm just afraid that DPNL, the city of Wilmington Water Department, uh, Veteran Energy, Reich's, Lazarus, Macy's, Whoever, they're going to come after me because they ain't no joke. If I pay God and give God, I don't know how God's going to help me pay the other. Exercising faith. That's a whole lot of faith. Now, you can go out here and say, well, Pastor wants me to just give everything and trust. Well, that you can take this how you want. That's just one avenue. God speaks to us and he says, exercise your faith. A true, a true transformation in a believer is that risk aversion. You don't worry about the risk. You just do it because God said it, and you trust God for the results. That's genuine, true faith. And I'll be I'll be honest with myself, and I'm talking about me. I, may not, I don't think I'm all the way there yet. In fact, I know I'm not. But I don't think I'm alone either. I think there's many of us use risk aversion in how we handle the things of God. And it's funny how the risk that we think of what it is to serve God really doesn't cost us anything. And when we don't do it, it really costs us more than we thought. My risk aversion is I cannot do something. I, I can bypass some things of God, and God's still going to bless me. Okay. But just think, you're short-circuiting your faith. True faith is like Peter. We're like Peter, who his faith was great as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. Come on out here, Peter. Walk on water. Master, there he is. My eyes, my perspective, my mind, my eyes are locked on Jesus. And as long as we have that, we're all right. But we like Peter... Is that a fish that just swam underneath me? Oh, Lord. It is, what, what happened? Jesus, distraction. The moment we take our eyes off of Jesus, distraction comes, and there we go. Risk aversion, whatever it is. It may not be in your giving. It may be in your sacrifice of your time or your talents or your substance. Whatever it is, we all have it. Because if our faith was so great, we would be gangbusters more excited <laughs> about the things of God. And about Jesus. You couldn't help but do because you'd be able to say, guess what? I saw God do this in my life. I prayed and God answered my prayers. Brother Leo came into a Bible study Wednesday and told us about prayers for his sister and even the, the baby that was born. And he said it, it was only by the prayers of God, the prayers of the saints, the church, family. We prayed, and my sister actually came out of, she had stage 4 cancer, and she went through all the process and came out of it, and now they can't find anything. Now, you know what? We ought to be shouting all over God's green heaven and earth. That's only God. Only God can do something like that. But he's not alone. God works, should be working in all of our lives to the point that we ought to be able to come every now and then and say, I want to share with you what God has done for me. He delivered me from whatever it might be. Because there's some things that happen in your life that the only way you're going to get out of that situation is God himself is going to have to move in your life. I've got a child, Pastor. I got, I got a child. I got a grand, whatever. And they have no clue as who God is, but I got a praise report. Somehow, somebody, somewhere said something to them, and they came to Christ. And I see the transformation in their life. You just don't know what they were to what they are. Is only because of God's grace. Keep on praying that God's word will manifest itself in their life. Galatians 2, the last part of 19b and verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. I've had to die to myself. The biggest person that's that's our biggest stumbling block is not everybody else in our spiritual life. It's us. You are your biggest struggle in your spiritual life. And anybody else? everybody else. Don't, don't, we're good at pointing fingers. Well, if more people would do that, if, if he would do that, if she would do that, no, you are not our own biggest problem. Go home, look in the mirror, and say to yourself, I am my own worst enemy because we are. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Does he live in you today? Are you a manifestation? Are you a transformation of Jesus Christ living and dwelling and being in you? Paul said, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I am of all people chief of all sinners. He can say that because he understood how bad he is. And guess what? When you and I understand how bad we are, we could be like Paul. I don't deserve the love of God, but God loves me in spite of. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. So exercising faith, seeking God. Transformation is seeing when our desire is to know God more deeply and experience His work more fully. How well do you want to know God? Hmm? How well do you and I want to know God? Are we content to be superficially on the top surface? Or do we want to know the deep things of God? I think the reason why we don't want to know the deep things of God is because we're afraid of what God might ask of us to do. Lord, I am happy being on the outside looking in. Don't I don't I, I, I want to know you, but I don't I don't want to know you like that because the more we know God, the more we know ourselves, and the more we know ourselves, the more we recognize how bad we really are. So you can't get in this Bible consistently and faithfully and have it being taught and preached and really looking at it and and. and studying it, and not come up to the conclusion that I'm a messed up. I'm messed up. The more I read, the more messed up I see I am. It's like a mirror. Oh, Lord Jesus, I am messed up, aren't I? But I thank you that you major in taking the messes of our life and putting us on the right street and on the right boulevard and on the right highway and leading and guiding us. Matthew 633, I already said a a moment ago, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Exercising faith, seeking God, building, here it is, building relationships. Our faith is personal. Write this, I want you to write this down. Our faith, my faith, your faith, is personal, but is not intended. To be private. My faith, your faith, our faith however you want to write it down is personal, but it is not intended to be private. That's just between me and Jesus? Well, that ain't flying. Yes, your faith may be personal, our faith is personal, but it was never intended to be private. Our horizontal relationship should develop just as our vertical relationship with God does. Transformation is occurring when relational maturity is evident in our lives. You cannot tell anybody, it's me and God. I'm walking with God. I'm walking with Jesus. We're step in step. Well, if that's the case, your position with people down here would be a whole lot better too. You can't have one without the other. For if you're right with God, you should you should be and I should be able to be walking right with others. As we learned in Sunday school, that ain't easy. But God gives you the power. Now that you've been transformed, the Holy Spirit is in you. You're able to love in spite of the same love that God has given to Jesus. Jesus has given to us. We ought to have for one another. But I remember, I can't forget. You know, that's on you. Why are you remembering what God has already forgotten? Or, better yet, what God has—well, God no longer holds against me. That's a better way of saying it. Because God doesn't forget; He just elects not to hold it against us. Our problem is we don't forget, and we still hold stuff against people. That's our—that's our problem. Amen. That's where we're at. God does not forget; He just says, "You know what? I know that's what you did, but I." I'm not holding that against you. We remember, we don't forget, and we don't want to say the other part of the story. I'm not going to hold that against you. It's about power and struggle and prestige and weakness and meekness and all that. Well, you can't beat what Jesus did. He, as the Son of God, could have called the very angels of heaven to deliver him off the cross. But he would not, the song said, he would not come what? Down. Why? Because he saw you. He saw me. He saw man. He said, wait a minute. If I come over here, man is going to be eternally condemned to hell. I can't come down. Because that's why, number one, that's why you sent me, Father. Who shall go down and redeem man? Nobody could but Jesus. That's why he couldn't come off the cross. That's why he got up out of the grave. With all power of heaven and earth in his hands, because he lives, I shall what live and face tomorrow. If my faith and trust is in him. Acts two forty two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You gotta come. Somebody told me, somebody asked, there's there's no, there's nothing ever mentioned in the Bible about church. Well, not not specifically the word so much as it is the, the intent of what God wants us to do. You cannot have, number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' what? Teaching. They were taught. They didn't stay home. They came and listened to what those who had been taught by Jesus was teaching them. That's why he called them. The apostles. That's why he called them. They were disciples. Follow me for three years, and when I'm done, I'm going to go away, but I will not leave you comfortless. There's going to come a power that's going to reside within you that's going to enable you to do the things that I need you to do to start this whole thing out for people to understand who I am. But you got they got they had to come and listen and hear what the apostles said. They didn't teach of their own, they taught what Jesus told them to teach. Not only that, not only to their teaching, but to fellowship. You miss out when you don't come. The fellowship. It was interesting, yesterday in our men's thing, Tom asked us to go around, and he said, well, we'll just do it once. Or maybe we'll do it twice. We ended up doing it three times. What is the one word that you want people to remember about you when you leave this earth? Well, first time wasn't too hard second time was a little bit more inter-perspective. Inter, inter, uh, and the third time, you really had to think about what the words you want to say because, you know, just think about it. What is it that you want people to remember about you when you leave this world, that they remember this is who you were? I remember develop relationships, the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread. Now, we're good at that. We're good at the breaking of bread. We like to eat. We enjoy food. Just, just tell people food is here and they will if they smell it they will come. If they know it's here they will come. There's wrong with food. Most cultures that's where everything happens around at the table anyway. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and to prayer something about if we get really serious with God and really come to God for prayer and really write it down and mark it down and then watch God move on the prayer list of our life then we'll be able to shout with joy on a Sunday morning because we see how God has worked in our life I was encouraged when Sister Denise talked and told her story last week some of us got a story to tell we just keeping it to ourselves and the sad thing is that when you keep it to yourself, there's somebody out, out here, out there, that needs to hear the story. Because it, it encourages them. They can always say, well, wait a minute. Thank you. This is Denise. Maybe not exactly at all the same circumstances, but she said, i bet you some stuff. And now I can stand here on Sunday morning and sing this song because I understand God brought me through. Unashamed. Is the last one. Unashamed. Transformation is evident when a believer is unashamed in presenting their own life as being aligned with Christ. Romans 1.16. I'll highlight this, mark it down, circle it. Memorize this. because This is an indictment on us. For I am not... Ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Are you ashamed? We are not ashamed. We are not ashamed of the what? Of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know if we need to sing that song sometimes, because I think sometimes we are ashamed. We don't want nobody to know we're Christians. We like being secret disciples. We like to be like Joseph of Arimathea. Come by night to get the body of Jesus. We will be like Nicodemus who came to Jesus, not during the day, he came to Jesus by night. By the way, Jesus, uh, what do you mean by this born-again thing? Because he was part of the, the religious group of the time. He didn't want them to know that he was curious about this man named Jesus. This guy had a lot of bad people didn't really like him. Now for him to ask a question in the public setting would we'll be like, what are you doing? But, you know, what he used to say, Brother Tony. The song was The Freaks Come Out at Night. Bad things happen at night. Under the cover of nightness, that's when most thieves, thieves like to rob. Some are bold enough to come in the day, but typically they're coming out of the disguise of night. If you don't have a night light on, if you don't have your porch light on, if your house is pitch black. You're set up for somebody to walk by and say, hey, ain't no lights around this house. They got nothing on in the inside. Hmm, ain't nobody home. I don't see a car. It's dark out there. It's dark behind their house. Let me just go to the back door and see if it's locked. I'll just take my elbow and knock the glass out. Darkness. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed, Pastor. I really don't want people to know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Because a lot of people like him, but they don't know all your friends that know you at school, at work, in their neighborhood, do they know? Do they know that you are a disciple? Or if you if somebody said, Guess who they are? Well, that's Byron. No, 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 no. Who is he? That's Byron. No, 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 no. He's a disciple. Of Jesus Christ. What? What do you mean? He's a disciple. That means Bible engagement, obeying God and denying Himself, serving God and others, sharing Christ, exercising faith, seeking God, building relationships. And He's unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He could be anywhere. And He also has hey, do you know Jesus? Man, that's great. That's one of them. You know Christ is your Savior? Some people are like that. Just unashamed. Unabashed. I could talk to you about the, the San about the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers and I could talk to you about the Golden State Warriors, but I cannot talk to you about Jesus Christ. There's something wrong with that picture. I could tell you all about LeBron and what he scored and how many points he got and how many rebounds and how many turnovers that cost him the game the other night and, and how much Kyrie and, and how much Seth and all the. I could talk all about that. But when it comes to the things of God, somebody's heart is broken and, and they don't know which way to go, and, 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 and I, I, I can't even come up with a verse to get to them. All I can tell them is trust God. That's fine. But well, I have a verse. Say, so you know what God in his word says? Trust me. See how easy it is to get distracted? Last, that's my last point. Okay. Two minutes. Psalm 133. I'm sorry. Not 133, 136. Psalm 136. One of the pervading things I hear is we're battered, we're bruised, we're depressed, our hearts are heavy. We just we just need to we just need to hear an encouraging word. Well, I'm gonna tell you, all of God's word is encouraging if you're not encouraged by what we just talked about, about the attributes of discipleship, that ought to get us excited about the things of God. Amen? But I want you to leave out of here because of our perspective should be right here what he says in the 136th Psalm. If you're able to do this, then no matter what you're going through, you'll be able to say, Lord, I thank you. Amen? This is what the psalmist says. Give thanks. Don't dwell on what you're going through and all your problems and fights and perils and struggles and all that. No, no, no. Give thanks to the Lord. Because in spite of it all, He is what? He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Again, His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, again, for his steadfast love endures forever. If you knew nothing else, all you need to remember is his steadfast love endures forever. Amen? To him who alone has done great wonders, has he not done great wonders in your life? Someone's going to always us today, yes, he has. It has to be, you know, when God does wonders in your life, it's not like, You know, I was telling somebody the other day, here's what we think of miracles. Somebody chops off my arm, and God, we pray, and God puts my arm back on. That's not how God operates. Can he? Yes. Will he? Most likely not. But he's still God. And his his steadfast love endures even if I lose my arm because I didn't lose my other arm. I didn't lose my life. And the amazing thing about the human body, it's very adaptive. You lose one, the other compensates for the other. But his steadfast love endures. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him, to him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him. Who made great lights for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night for his. I mean, read on through that song. Everything is about God's steadfast love. Who woke you up this morning? God's steadfast love. Who enabled you to lose your eyesight? God's steadfast love. Who would enable you to put your arms and your legs into your clothes? God's steadfast love. Who will a few moments allow you to go to a place and sit down and eat some food? God's steadfast love. Amen? So you and I can sit and wallow in all the plights and problems and perils that we have, or we can fix our perspective and say, God, thank you. Well, what? Why are you thanking me? Your steadfast love. God, your steadfast love is endured forever. You've been there for me every step of the way. I know not a moment in my life that God's steadfast love has not been there. Amen? Your steadfast love. I was going through some papers the other day, and I found the death certificate for my father. I said, oh, okay. It's been a while, it's been a few years. And I went back in my mind, and I thought about that day. When I tell people that I did my dad's home going, they go, you did what? How did you do that? I said, God's steadfast love. The Lord was my strength in my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Amen. All of us in here, I could take my finger and go aisle by aisle. All of us are going through some stuff. Amen. But nothing that you and I are going through is beyond God's steadfast love for you. I get it, hearts are heavy, minds are weighed down, but God's steadfast love, He doesn't miss a beat. Think of your life, has God ever missed a beat when you needed Him? He's steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding. If He does that for you, how can we not be willing to serve and worship Him? That's the confusing part. Of, that I, If I was God and looking down on man, I would say, wait a minute. All that they say i done and blessed them with, and yet they're so inconsistent. They shout today and cuss this afternoon. They say, I'm great, and they trust in me, and they believe in me, but you would never see it by the words that come out of our mouth, and the actions that we do, and the places that we go to, and the things that we, how we treat other people. You would never know that that we are disciples. And we get distracted by the things that the devil puts in front of us and miss the key core principle. This morning in Sunday school. We're to love everybody. Amen? And you could talk to me and say, Pastor, I don't believe that. God loves us, He loves us enough to give His Son for us. But if you're His child, any good parent, if you're a parent today and you don't know this, you need to know it. You can love your child. But you need, to love enough, you need to love them enough to discipline. them. So if you don't discipline, you really don't love them. That's what the Bible talks about. God loves us enough. He gave his life. He gave us grace. He gave us mercy. He gave us his steadfast love. But he will not let you and I just do what we want to do and say we're his. You're my, you're my child. Excuse me. We need to have a little conversation. Amen. I love God because he loves me when I'm I'm unlovable, and I am. Some of you will attest to that. Yeah, Pastor, you can be unlovable. That's true. I am. But you know what? God loves me, and he's still working on me, and I come back to what he said. His steadfast love. Father, we thank you. Please. Be patient with me, for God is not through with me yet. I have not yet arrived, but I thank you that you already see, you already know the finished product. And where people in my life, the people in my own church, my own family, they can talk about me and say all kinds of things, but, you know, that's all right. That's that's well and good of itself, but I'm still under construction, and I will be under construction until I leave this earth. But I thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your steadfast love that does, is, and will endure forever and ever. Bless your people with all that they need. Bless your people with all of who you are. And bless your people to be about being a true disciple. Thank you, Father, for what you have done. Thank you for what you are doing and not knowing what's going to happen in the next few hours, days, weeks, or months. I pray that our faith, our hope, our trust will be in you. As we get ready to leave this place, but not your presence, and some of us will be going to this ball game. give us traveling grace and mercy. Help us to enjoy our time at the the ball game. Give us traveling grace and mercy back home. Help us to enjoy the fellowship of one another as we're out there interacting with other people. Bless this day. Bless this oncoming week. Help us to encourage and to share with others the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.